Welcome to the Dacus Report, hosted by Pacific Justice Institute founder and president Brad Dacus. For 25 years, PJI has counseled, represented, and defended people whose religious freedoms, parental rights, or sanctity of life have been obstructed or violated, all free of charge. We leave no one behind and level the playing field for Americans as they are subjected to the tyranny of the powerful. Now, here's Brad Dacus. Welcome to the Dacus Report. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. On today's show, we're going to be uh, talking to our attorneys about uh, cases, things that are taking place, and specifically what's happening in Idaho that has many parents and others very concerned. But before we do that, I'd first like to talk to our attorney out of our Stockton, California office about some of the cases he's working on. And uh, so welcome to the program. Uh, glad to have you uh, on the show, Milton Machek. Uh, uh, you're doing a great work for Pacific Justice Institute, and uh, we're so glad to have you on our team. Thank you, Brad. Good morning. Good to be here. Thank you. Well, uh, it's great to have you. Now, you are involved in, in many cases. Uh, give us an update on some of the cases that you're involved with, with right now, uh, Milton. I know people will definitely want to know about it. Uh, Brad, I've got a, involved with as, as co-counsel on a number of cases, uh, some um, lawsuits against um, aerospace uh, corporations, uh, a number of those, uh, California city and uh, local um, government agencies, uh, and uh, most of those, and even some uh, medical providers, medical facilities, most of those, if not all of them, deal with um, the people who have sincere religious objections to getting the vaccine. They were terminated uh, or uh, some sort of an adverse job action against them. And uh, so we've taken uh, suit for them. Some of them just outright denied their religious uh, exemption. They, they agency said, well, you're not religious enough for our our uh, our board or whoever is ruling on these things, sort of like the old inquisitions of the past. And um, you know, so we have a number of lawsuits like that. Yeah. Now, why? What's the, the, the thinking of them saying someone is not sincere in their religious exemption request? I mean, what, what are they looking at here? Because it's it's very broad. I mean, unless there's specific evidence of someone not really believing what they say they believe, uh, isn't the ground rules to presume that they're sincere? That is correct. The, 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 uh, the agency or the business should assume that the um, religious uh, request is sincere, uh, unless there's some objective evidence that it's not. Um, many of these people, some of them anyway, have, you know, they, they graduated from a Bible college or uh, have been, you know, Christians or involved in their, their uh, religion for many, many, many years. Um, they may not be able to articulate like a lawyer could or a, uh, a author or a writer could their beliefs, but they're s sincere nonetheless. And that's where I think a lot of these agencies and and uh, businesses are getting in the most trouble. Yeah, I, I can imagine because uh, that's a that's a terrible way for them to deny someone is, is to say we reject the sincerity of your religious beliefs. You know, I've heard in the past that some employers say, "Well, uh, you don't go to church that much," or uh, you know, "Well, you're you're a Catholic and the Pope says it's okay, so therefore uh, you're not legit in your sincere beliefs." You know, these kinds of uh, you know, kind of uh, arguments that really 
are not substantiated by a traditional court interpretation of what's a sincerely held religious belief. It's not what your denomination thinks. It's not what your pope thinks or your pastor thinks. It's what do you feel in your heart God wants you to do. And Christianity is about a living personal relationship with the Lord and the Holy Spirit, uh, not you know, following some edict or uh, you know, written by someone of your uh, uh, religion or denomination. So uh, I can see that as being uh, very, very problematic. Uh, the other uh, avenue that they take, I understand in many of these cases, Milton, is uh, to reject them because they say, oh, it's an undue burden. You may have a sincerely held religious belief, but it's going to be an undue burden for us to reasonably accommodate you in some way and your desire not to, in conviction, not to be vaxxed. Well, there was a recent Supreme Court decision dealing with a postal worker that will uh, actually weaken that contention fairly easily, won't it? Uh, that's absolutely right. The recent Supreme Court decision in Groff uh, versus DeJoy, it was the postal worker who wanted um, Saturdays off. Um, and and the court said that it's not a de minimis. There, our religious protections of Title VII and the First Amendment are too great to just make it a de minimis um, uh, cost to the business, that it has to be a substantial burden on the uh, business or agency. And so that's changed it quite dramatically. Um, and uh, many of these um, defendants in these cases are going to find that the under the uh, recent ruling, their um, decision to not accommodate because it was a de minimis cost uh, won't hold up in court. Now, you have uh, cases in both the public sector and the private sector. I think that's very interesting. Usually, the private sector is more accommodative, less bigoted towards people of faith than the public sector. But unfortunately, there are, are many uh, companies, big, some big companies that we've taken on already, uh, that uh, have uh, displayed uh, tremendous intolerance towards people of faith and not wanting to reasonably accommodate them. I understand that a number of them have said, oh, you have a medical exemption? Oh, we'll, we'll accommodate that, no problem. Oh, but a religious exemption? Oh, yeah, we're not going to accommodate that. Now, how, how, um, how telling is it and how valuable is it from uh, defending our client's perspective? Is it for... The employer to say, on one hand, oh, we'll accommodate people with any kind of medical issues uh, to not be vaccinated. Now, that's no problem. Stay working here. No problem. Uh, but if you have religious beliefs, we're not going to accommodate you. Um, how telling is that and uh, how helpful is that in our defense of uh, people of faith in the workplace? Well, it's very telling in, w in one capacity in that if that is the um, businesses or governmental agencies uh, view then um, it, it more definitively shows the pinpointing of religion that they're trying to um, exclude, which is exactly the opposite of what you're supposed to do under Title VII, as well as uh, our First Amendment if it's a government agency. And it's very helpful to us because we can point out that um, there were accommodations available uh, and the, uh, those with medical exemptions were accommodated, if, if that is the case then why couldn't you accommodate with somebody that um, had a religious exemption, which is which is just as protected, if not more so? You know, our 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 Supreme Court has said that Title VII doesn't just need a, a neutral playing field. 
It shows that our government is preferring religion, that it's protecting religion in the workplace. And um, so this is very helpful if we, through discovery, can find out that they uh, allowed medical exemptions, but just not religious exemptions. Yeah, I think it's a great case. I talked to our chief counsel, Kevin Snyder, Milton, and he told me that, you know, we have more cases still coming in than cases being settled. That said, since that Supreme Court decision regarding that postal worker and the reassessment of the term undue burden to accommodate, that we are seeing an uptick in settlements in our clients' favor that we're representing. And the last I checked, we have about 100 different cases across the country, coast to coast, uh, taking on these vaccine mandate cases against people of faith and trying to purge people of faith from the workplace. I know just one of those cases alone, Milton, that you're involved in, involves about a thousand employees that were fired uh, by San Francisco, uh, because, and they had sincerely held religious beliefs, and they were fired because the city did not want to accommodate them in their objection to getting a very controversial COVID-19 vaccine. That, that is true. And interesting enough, Brad, that you brought that up, there are still um, former employees of San Francisco that are contacting us and wanting to be a part of this, uh, of this um, litigation uh, process against San Francisco. Yeah, it's a big case. You're taking on a, a big entity. But, you know, when the truth is on your side, when the case law is on your side, and the, the facts support what you're, you're talking about, I'd rather be in that position than uh, be in the position of the other side that may have more attorneys and more funds for, for litigation. Uh, the bottom line is the people who win are those who have competent legal counsel given, but those who have the law on their side and the facts supporting yes. their position in, in the, their legal claim. And we have that, I believe, in this, in this case, in our cases across the country. And that's why we're seeing positive results in settlements. Now, there's a certain point, though, uh, Milton, where the statute of limitations kicks in. I mean, people can't just, can't just wait forever after being allegedly wrongfully terminated because of their faith and convictions about the COVID-19 vaccination mandates. Uh, you know, what are we looking at and why, how important is it for, for people who are, are still sitting on the sideline who've been fired uh, to step up and take action uh, because of these statute of limitations? Uh, well, they, they are very strict. And if they are have had an adverse job action or been fired from their job because of uh, they, they believe uh, religious discrimination, they need to immediately contact the uh, U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which is a federal agency, or in California, it would be the Department of Fair Employment and Housing, which is a state agency, and start there with filing a, a complaint against their former employer or current employer if it's an adverse job action, but they're still working. Um, the and I have to I don't have it in front of me, but I believe it is a, about 300 days for the federal uh, from the time of the adverse job action or termination. Uh, but you can check with the EEOC and the DFEH uh, for sure about the statute of limitations. But they need to file as soon as they can because they have to go through that process first and then get the right to sue letter uh, issued by these before they'll have an opportunity to, uh, and a right to file suit in either state court or federal court. Okay. And after they get their right to sue letter, 
the strict time limitations, uh, there are strict time, time limitations again. In the, um, if they get a federal right to sue letter from the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, they have 90 days from the time they receive that letter to, um, to file in federal court. If they get one from the Department of Fair and Employment um, and Housing, uh, the California agency, then they have generally one year uh, from the time of the um, date of that letter that they get. So um, it is not something that they should sit on if they are truly seeking to um, redress their, um, their termination or their adverse uh, job actions. They need to jump on it right away. And the EEOC and the DFEH process for filing claims is very simple. They just get on the websites and they can do it themselves. They can file the claim themselves, follow the steps through the website, but it's important that they act quickly and right. not wait. Right. Now, at what time should they contact Pacific Justice Institute? Well, they can contact at any time. Um, I, I generally, I, it, it's easy for them just to do it themselves. They can either contact us pr prior to filing with those agencies and, and asking us to help with that process, or they can contact us after they've filed with those agencies and while they've been in the process of that because many times there'll be investigations, sometimes mediation is offered. I personally, as, as I know as, as well as many others uh, of our PGI staff, have uh, helped and assisted and um, represented uh, many a client through the mediation process in the EEOC with some good results, some very good results. And so they can contact any, us really any time in the process. Uh, but at the very least, I would contact us after they filed a claim through the EEOC or DFEH. Okay. And of course, there are there are comparable agencies in each state throughout the United States. So if somebody's watching from Oregon or Washington or or New York, uh, they just go online and look up their uh, comparable state agency uh, that they can also file with. Well, you're doing some great work, uh, Milton. We really appreciate it. And uh, go to our website, get that information. If they need assistance, they can also uh, request that on our website pji.org. Uh, God bless you, Milton, and uh, keep up the great work. Did you know you can request free legal assistance on PJI's website? Just visit pji.org and click the Request Legal Assistance button. You'll be put in touch with one of our attorneys who can help you. Now, back to the Dacus Report. Welcome back. Uh, once again, if you'd like to keep up with the many cases we're handling at PJI, all without charge, uh, just go to our website, pji.org, and there you can uh, sign up to get our e-newsletter called The Legal Insider. The Legal Insider, just go to our website, pji.org. Uh, you can also uh, click a button to arrange for one of our attorneys, and possibly myself, to speak to your church, to speak to your, your group, your organization. Uh, we do that also without charge, and we have attorneys, folks, all over the country. We have uh, attorneys, uh, 32 offices in 24 states, coast to coast. And we love to be able to share what we're doing and to give people hope and encouragement with regards to their rights. And then on, on Sunday mornings, uh, I love to preach from the Word, love to see people come to Christ. And we do that all without charge, no matter where you are in the country, no matter how small the church, I'll be there. Uh, just go to our website, pji.org, pji.org. Now, I'd like to welcome to the show our attorney who heads up our office out of Idaho, uh, Catherine Hartley. Uh, Catherine, welcome to the program. 
Uh, you know, you just started that office there not that long ago for PJI. And by golly, you've, you're busy. You've got a lot of cases you're handling right now, right? It's true, Brad. Yes, um, there is a lot going on here, which um, I guess, depending on how you look at it, is, is good and bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, you're, you're right. In a way, we don't want to have a lot going on. But, um, you know, if there is, it's great having someone like you that can, can take these on and uh, with uh, such great competency and, and uh, experience. You are a very seasoned attorney. Uh, I love your expertise and what you bring to our, our team here at PJI. Now, the first case I would like to talk about in uh, Idaho is dealing with a high school student who was suspended and barred from attending a high school graduation. Why did this happen? Yeah, I want to kind of set up the background on this because it, it actually has led to a couple of cases that PJI has filed. Um, so you're correct. A high school student in a small town here in Idaho was um, a graduating senior and participating in a pre-graduation assembly. And every graduating senior had the opportunity to go um, up and say some, some words to the underclassmen. And in the middle of his uh, speech, the student speech, he made the statement that guys are guys and girls are girls and there's no in between. And so the, it didn't disrupt the assembly. The assembly continued to go on, um, but the school came down very hard on him. They suspended him for saying that and they did not allow him to participate in his high school graduation ceremony. Um, so, and then actually subsequently after that, he was fired from a job that he had secured, um, after his graduation. So very bad week for this high school student. And, um, we now represent him and have filed a case on his behalf against the school district, um, for violating his free speech rights in this case. So he exercised his free speech rights to say, in his opinion, you know, he says, uh, guys are guys, girls are girls. There's no in between. I mean, that's what Christians believe. That's what Correct. Jews, Orthodox Jews believe. That's what Muslims believe. I think that's, um, that's not that strange of an opinion. I think it's what the right. majority of Americans believe. <laughs> but because he expressed his opinion, uh, he was barred from even a attending the high school graduation ceremony. Is that right? So he didn't get his diploma there at the ceremony like all the other students after going through 12 grades plus kindergarten? Uh, he was denied his, his diploma yeah. simply for expressing his opinion. When he expressed his opinion, I mean, what was going on at that time when he expressed his opinion? Uh, you know, was he uh, saying it in a pejorative way, attacking a, a transgender person who was, you know, weak kneed and crying? I mean, what, what was going on? That's a great question, and the answer is no. So this statement was not targeting any particular student or any particular staff member. It was just a general statement of his opinion and his belief about this topic, which, as you know, is a hotly debated topic uh, in our country, in our world right now. And uh, yeah, it wasn't vulgar, wasn't profane. There was nothing, uh, you know, that was damaging to any particular person. Um, so, you know, this was 
obviously very uh this this came down really hard in this entire community to be honest um wow. this this was a shock to uh people really throughout our entire state because i think this is small town idaho you know this is <laughs> This is not what you expect uh, from an area like this. People come here because they think they have more freedom, and, and in many ways they do. But so this is, I think, highlights the problem in the public school system in general, you know, no matter where you are. And it's, it is it is very troubling, for now, sure. I understand there was a, a rally in support of him afterwards. Uh, it seems like the community is, is, is definitely behind him. Uh, the school board hasn't apologized yet. The superintendent hasn't apologized. Not to my knowledge. So you're correct. There was a, a peaceful protest after the school made this decision to not allow him to go to graduation. That didn't change their minds. He, he ultimately was not able to go to his graduation ceremony. And uh, no, as far as I know, there's been no apology, no, no attempt at um, really <laughs> anything corrective on the part of the school district so far. Now, uh, it's, does he have representation? PJI. Yeah, very good. So, <laughs> so you're rep that was sort of a, a, a softball serve there. <laughs> so very good. So, uh, yeah, so you're representing him and yes. have we, uh, have we filed a lawsuit, uh, on his behalf yet or where is it in the legal process? Yeah, we just recently filed a, a lawsuit um, in Idaho federal court. So we will see how that progresses, definitely. Yeah, and uh, I guess were we, are we seeking a temporary restraining order? or I mean, the graduation cer ceremony has already happened, so you can't really go backwards. Exactly. But uh, it seems like we can at least be awarded his, his certificate in some manner of dignity and respect and uh, and this was a clear violation of his First Amendment rights. So there's a uh, you know, there's, there's clear claim there. Are there any other cases there in Idaho that you can talk about, uh, you know, moving forward that uh, could be uh, either related to this or a, uh, another public school issue? Yes. Um, related to this issue specifically, um, you mentioned that there was a, uh, a rally, a peaceful protest in response to the, the school district's uh, treatment of the student. And one of the school district employees attended this, this rally. And he, uh, he was a bus driver for the school district, and he was actually fired on the spot for being there at this rally. Now, and th so we are also handling his case. Um, so he, again, has a government employer in the school district, and he has a First Amendment right to express his opinion on the district's treatment of this student. This was on his own time. This was not during his work hours. Um, so we, are also, we also have already filed um, a case on his behalf, and uh, I have a good feeling about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a good feeling about it, too. It looks like, I mean, he's, he works for that school district, right? Correct. So he's a bus driver of the school district that refused to allow this uh, student to uh, attend graduation ceremony because of his beliefs. So they fired him because on his own time, he made it clear. He actually just attended the rally. He didn't even speak at it, but he could have. Uh, the First Amendment would have protected his ability to speak at it. But just because he attended the rally and observed it, that was verboten, you're fired immediately. Um, 
Yeah, they're they're begging. They're begging for this uh, litigation. And uh, Catherine, I hope uh, we hit them hard on this. Uh, we need to send a message not just to this school district, but to school districts across the country. You cannot engage in this kind of purging and censorship of students, of employees, people of faith, just because you don't like people of faith or you don't like their beliefs. Uh, you know, we, we can't let this kind of bigotry continue to happen. And this is an issue that is facing school districts across the nation, correct? Absolutely. We're, we're a great example of that. You know, we are a, a very conservative state, and this is still a very active uh, problem uh, here. I know. Idaho, you know, I've heard people say, well, just, you know, we can always just go to Idaho. Let's just go to Idaho. Well, you know what, folks? Idaho's not safe. And that's why we at PJI are doing all we can do with the, the uh, assistance of people like Attorney Catherine Hartley to make a difference, to stand up for people like you out there who love their kids and want to protect their kids. Catherine, thanks again for being on the show and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you for having me, Brad. We would love the opportunity to continue to serve you. Just visit pji.org and click the Legal Insider button to sign up for our email newsletter. At PJI, we help individual employees, employers, business owners, pastors, students, citizens of every stripe through our practical resources, counsel, representation, and defense, all free of charge at pji.org. PJI is an island of stability and assurance in our ever-churning sea of legal and societal chaos. We are here for you. So folks, just remember, it's our God-given freedoms we're talking about. Now, let's choose to keep them. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Let's continue the fight for your freedoms.